ABC Radio. You're listening to Nightlife. Nightlife with Philip Clark. Ketamine. It's long been used as a common horse tranquilizer and for decades as an, uh, an anaesthetic in hospitals. It's also common enough in the illegal party drug scene as a party drug because of its disassociative effects. But over recent years, medical specialists have noticed that ketamine was sometimes very helpful for people who have depression. Indeed, patients suffering from a wide range of drug-resistant mood disorders, such as major depressive disorder and social anxiety disorder, have been or have seen their symptoms improve sometimes immediately. A study published in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry last September found that people with treatment-resistant depression showed fewer signs of depression, thoughts of suicide and anxiety after receiving injections of ketamine. Well, with one in five Australians experiencing a mental illness in their lifetime and depression topping the list, exploring the beneficial effects of administering ketamine has become a focus of psychiatrists worldwide. In Australia, psychiatrist and Professor Colleen Liu spent 10 years of research before establishing a ketamine treatment clinic at the Black Dog Institute a few years ago. It's called the Black Dog Institute's Neurostimulation and Ketamine Program, and she's director of the ketamine treatment clinics at the Black, uh, the Black Dog Institute and the Ramsey Clinic Northside. She's also a professor at the University of New South Wales. Professor Colleen Liu, good evening. Welcome to Nightlife. Hello. Great to have you with us too. When did ketamine appear? I mean, when did it first appear? When did it become a drug for horses and not initially for humans? Well, in fact, in the 1960s, it was introduced as an anaesthetic both for humans uh, and animals, ma- mainly large animals like horses. Okay, so so it's got so it's got some history at the time as a as a, as a, an anaesthetic for humans as well. Yes, we know of it chiefly as a horse. Well, in the popular mind, as a horse tranquilizer, horse anaesthetic. Is that because of where it's mostly been used? Look, I, I think Phil, it's because. Um, it's not so commonly used now in anesthesia uh, in, in humans, and that's because we have all sorts of other drugs that have been developed over mm-hmm. the years. Uh, although one of the useful things about ketamine is that it doesn't slow down people's breathing. So it's a, a quite a special anesthetic in that sense. And I'm told by my anesthetic colleagues um, that it's very useful as a field anesthetic, for example, in a war zone, because it requires much less life support uh, when you give someone anesthesia with ketamine rather than with the usual anesthetic agents we use these days. Hmm. When did psychiatry begin to notice that it had other uses? So it's it's really interesting because it's been around, as you can see, for, you know, six decades, and there were just occasional reports uh, that, gee, people's moods seem to be picked up really well after receiving anesthesia with ketamine. Mm -hmm. But the field really got going in from about 2000 onwards, Uh, And this started with a series of papers coming out of the U.S. where small studies were set up uh, really to target its antidepressant effect and to examine that. And they were reporting really quite amazing studies and results. Hmm. Okay, so it was used as an anesthetic, but essentially what you're saying is that uh, it got got supplanted, as it were, by by what other and better anesthetics. And so... Not fell by the wayside, but was was there. But as a drug, not so much used in anaesthesia before it but, got picked up by the psychiatric profession. That, that's right. And I should emphasise that when, when it's used to treat depression, we're not talking about a full anaesthetic dose, but a, 
substantially smaller dose so that uh, people are still awake. It's a, you know, a sub-anesthetic dose. But ketamine is still used for sedation. So, for example, with the famous uh, you know, rescue of the schoolboys in that cave in Thailand, yeah. uh, they were actually sedated with ketamine. And that's because it's a very, again, a safe anesthetic when you don't have a lot of life support. So because it was quite frightening to be put in a capsule and you know, taken out of this cave, uh, they were actually given uh, an injection of anesthetic so that they would be calm throughout that uh, extraction rescue. So it is still used uh, at, for sedation purposes, and uh, I think particularly also in children and young people. Mm. Okay, so what? So it's, it, depending on the dose you give, it could be used for mild sedation all the way through to what? To anesthesia for surgery, for example? Exactly, exactly. Mm. Tell us about your research in this area and how you came to set up the clinic. Yeah, so we, we were already researching ketamine as part of the anesthetic. Uh, in, in, in fact, when we do electroconvulsive therapy, another highly effective treatment for depression, uh, that was in the, uh, the, the 2000s. And then we saw these studies coming out of the US. And I thought, you know, it, it sounds almost too good to be true. These amazing results that they were talking about, mm. that it was so effective and so rapidly effective. So I thought, I really need to have a look myself. I was a little bit skeptical um, about, you know, that it could be so good. So we started our own research uh, and we started setting up in 2010. And uh, we did a number of things. We, we looked very carefully at the safety of it. Uh, and then we set up and ran a series of studies uh, looking at some of the really important methodological issues, like how you give ketamine. Mm -hmm. uh, so, for example, the paper that you were referring to from the U.S. clinics uh, that came out last year gave it to people by an infusion of a 40 minutes into the vein, which is, you know, medically takes uh, a fair bit of setup. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, we investigated a number of things. Could you just give it more simply? We found, for example, that giving as a simple injection under the skin uh, the same kind of procedure that diabetics would use to give themselves insulin, just in a small needle with an injection under the skin, seemed to work just as just as well. And the other thing we did in a series of studies uh, starting in uh, 10 years ago was to look at the whole dosing issue, because most people at that stage were just doing a, a kind of a one size fits all, you know, the same number of milligrams of ketamine uh, per kilogram of your body weight. And, and what we found in studies was that if you just actually adjust the dose for each individual person, you actually got better results. So in other words, everyone received the dose that they needed to, to give them the optimal chance of getting better. But at the same time, they didn't receive more than they needed to, mm -hmm. which was very useful from a safety point of view. Mm. Okay, so you have to know how much you're giving a person to achieve these therapeutic psychiatric effects, as opposed to giving them, uh, as opposed to putting them under, as it were. Hmm. Yes. How do you determine that? Well, I mean, all the doses we use are way below the anaesthetic range. Right. Um, so, you know, it's maybe something like one fifth of the anaesthetic dose. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we're kind of not really any anywhere near that, but. But what we found in our studies was then even making further minor adjustments to that was really quite useful. Hmm. Okay. Depression is, of course, as we know, a massive problem here and overseas. It tops the list as one of the most disabling medical conditions worldwide. What does ketamine do? What, 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 how does it work? Do we know? So, you know, depression is very complex. So if you ask the first question about hmm. 
what is wrong with the brain when someone is depressed? Hmm. Um, it's not that we have no idea, but we have multiple answers. And how all of these fit together, given the complexity of the brain, uh, no, no, no one can tell you, you know, like there's the one theory that uh, explains everything. So we know hmm. a number of things. So, for example, when people have been depressed for, say, some months, we know that at the microscopic level, you do start getting changes at the brain cell level. So the cells become a bit sick. They can often, often become a bit shrunk, have less kind of projections, you know, these kind of finger-like projections that enable them to communicate with other cells. So when people say, look, my brain doesn't work, you know, when they're quite severely depressed and have been so for some time, there's actually a biological basis for that. If you then zoom out to the whole brain level, we, can, we also understand the brain increasingly uh, as an incredibly complex kind of computer that's running multiple circuits at once in the same way that you know your computer might run a word program a powerpoint program emails simultaneously uh, the brain is doing multiple things at a time and it has these billions of brain neurons organized in multiple complex circuits and how well the circuits operate how you switch from one circuit to the other uh, how much time you spend in each all of these are you know very finely balanced um processes that can go wrong and a number of imaging studies have shown that the brain doesn't work the same when people are depressed mm -hmm. compared to when they're healthy and we do know from studies examining the effects of ketamine both in healthy people uh, just healthy volunteers understanding the effects of ketamine on the brain and also people with depression uh, and also animal studies where people give ketamine to say you know uh, rats and then you can actually examine the brain afterwards that ketamine uh, has effects at at least both of those levels right. that it is helping brain cells to regrow uh, and at the same time it also changes the kind of the functioning circuits uh, at the whole brain level mm. it's uh, it's interesting isn't it because at this level of course in psychiatry and particularly this for these kinds of therapeutic psychiatric um, techniques often i mean a bit like shock therapy sometimes we observe treatments to work without fully understanding why they work is that a fair observation do you think oh look i think it is phil and i would say that it's not just uh confined to psychiatry but there, there are many things in medicine hmm. where we don't completely know how it works so for example general anesthesia Exactly how does that work? No, nobody can tell you this, but it doesn't mean that their thought's not a valid The patient, The patients, unfortunately, can, cannot report back, I suppose, but go on, yes. Yeah, but, you know, how it works at a brain level, nobody can tell you. Right. But I don't think you'll find many people saying, well, I don't believe in general anesthesia because nobody can tell me, you know, the answer of how it works, and therefore next time I have a major operation, I'm going to have it without anesthetic. <laughs> Uh, so this kind of idea that we can't use any treatment until we understand everything about how it works and exactly how it works, I don't think many people actually live by that approach. Mm. I'm talking with uh, Professor Colleen Liu, psychiatrist and professor at the Black Dog Institute, about the use of ketamine for the treatment of depression. In the popular mind, ketamine is associated, of course, as an anaesthetic for horses. But as Professor Liu has explained, it's... It uh, it was also intended for human use, and indeed was used by humans, and has been for for a long time. The cave rescue, famous cave rescue in Thailand, those boys were brought out with the use of ketamine, as Professor Liu has explained. Uh, all right, so uh, sometimes drugs we are, we are taught, we are, we are told uh, in the pop, in the popular mind that that drugs can help by stimulating the production of 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 
uh, hormones in the brain or in hormones in the body that produce happier, more positive thoughts. Serotonin, I think, is often used mm. as a, an, an example that, that some drugs produce serotonin or stimulate the production of serotonin, so therefore that's therapeutic. This is not what ketamine does, is it? And, and, and that's one of the intriguing things about ketamine, Phil. Then, you know, most of the antidepressant drugs we have, uh, the vast majority, almost all of them, work on the, you know, the, the standard neurotransmitters in the brain, such as serotonin, adrenaline, mm. dopamine, whereas ketamine works on a completely different uh, neurotransmitter and receptor system. So that's one of the intriguing things. And that in itself is a very complex system. Uh, but ketamine is also intriguing because the time course of its effects is much faster than other antidepressant medications. So rather than waiting, say, you know, a few weeks to see the response, with ketamine, we often see the response in 24 hours. Oh. Uh, and it's truly amazing the, the first time you see that. And, and we think that it's something to do with the fact that it works on different systems in the brain, that the effect is so different, both incredibly rapid compared to other treatments, uh, but also often much more powerful so that people who haven't responded to other treatments, other medications, can still respond very well to ketamine. Hmm. How, how, I mean, is it just a temporary fix in that sense? So, you know, you take, you take a dose of ketamine, you feel better f- for a bit, and then what goes up must come down, as it were, and then you just feel worse again? Yeah. So one of the things we know from the early studies, which, you know, I call proof of concept studies, because they just gave people a single dose. And Mm. when you give people a single dose, you know, you're not talking really about sort of fixing that whole episode of depression for good. And it was really a look-see to say, is ketamine doing anything? And what we found instead from subsequent studies, which gave repeated doses over multiple weeks, is that you do need to have this repeated dosing to have the ongoing benefit. If you just have a one of those, you're right, you might be completely well the next day, but by the end of the week, chances are you've relapsed into depression. And mind you, this is true of, again, many treatments in medicine. If you take a drug for high blood pressure and it brings out your blood pressure really nicely, you don't then say, that's great, my blood pressure's low, I'm gonna stop taking the drug now. Hmm. You need to have ongoing treatment uh, for the ongoing benefits. And ketamine is looking very much like uh, that's how it's best used. Is it safe? Uh, Look, so ketamine, when it's given carefully under medical supervision and monitoring, is safe. And there's there's two main issues here. Uh, One is the uh, the immediate effects. Uh, After the treatment, your blood pressure can go up. You can have all sorts of weird effects where you, you know, your perception of all your surroundings of time passing is quite different. That's why you need to be carefully clinically monitored and supported to make sure that you're fine. Uh, And... And then also with ongoing treatment, say over the weeks to months, there are a completely different set of potential side effects, uh, such as, you know, on the bladder, et cetera. And again, that requires careful uh, medical monitoring to make sure that you're not developing those side effects or to do something about it if you're starting to develop them. So within that kind of framework, with adequate monitoring, it's safe. I, I wouldn't be a advising people to go out and, you know, buy ketamine and start treating themselves. Well, you can't do that anyway, can you? Uh, well, on the black market. It's, oh, I see. Uh... <laughs> Is it a, just a bit on that? I mean, I'm not really trying to give you anybody instructions on how to take it, but uh, on the black market. But, but is it safe to, to – is it a relatively safe drug? 
Well, again, with careful monitoring. So, for example, Phil, if I had, say, a very high blood pressure that I maybe didn't know about, yeah. you know, there are some people walking around who, I don't know, haven't seen the GP and actually have high blood pressure but don't know it. And then I decided to give myself some ketamine. And the first thing is that goodness knows what dose I'm taking, because especially, you know, some of the things that you buy in the black sure. market, mm. not that I speak from personal experience, yeah. uh, you don't really quite know what dose you're taking. Now, if you happen to get a you know, substantial dose and your blood pressure kind of went up astronomically, you could have a stroke. So, mm. so that's what I'm saying by, of course, this doesn't happen in the clinics because we, you know, do, we, we look at all these things very carefully. We measure your blood pressure very carefully beforehand. We calculate the dose very carefully. We measure it afterwards and we make adjustments uh, very, very carefully. Mm. Yes, the, the other thing I do say to patients coming to our clinic is that you have to be prepared for is that it's such a powerful drug that you can come up very quickly from depression, which is, you know, although it sounds wonderful, can also be quite disconcerting hmm. for someone who's been depressed, you know, stably, but depressed for say months to years to suddenly have such a big change in 24 hours is quite mind boggling. Uh, but then you can also have a very rapid drop. So people tell me that, you know, within hours, they can go from being really well to really depressed again. And yeah, so yeah. again, this is something that we need to discuss carefully with people and make sure that we have in place an appropriate context and support um, before we treat them with ketamine, a very, very important mm. issue. Because people often, you know, focus on the beneficial effects. It's like, wow, this is so amazing. You know, in one day people can go up, but, uh, as you say, what goes up can come down. And the issue here is not that it's not a safe drug and don't use it, but again, that appropriate kind of clinical evaluation and putting in place what are the risks for each person and what is the context and the support framework that needs to be put around each person, which is different for everyone, sure. is very important. Okay. Oh, very. It's been most interesting. All right, Professor Colin Liu, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.